power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This famous quote from English historian John Dahlberg Acton is often paraphrased, but used far too often as a generalized excuse as to why those in power seem to always end up abusing it one way or another. A more realistic version of Acton's axiom is that corrupt people are attracted to power, and that power tends to reveal what's truly in the heart. In the case of World of Warcraft, there are few in the universe who don't have a darker side waiting to be given free reign and control. The canon is filled with white hat characters who see something or go through an event that brings out that darkness and ruins them seemingly forever. Archbishop Benedictus, Akama of the Ashtung clan, Illidan Stormrage, Garrosh, former leader of the Horde, the list goes on. This is no more true than the ultimate gone to the dark side lore character, Prince Arthas Minethil of Lordaeron, or the Lich King if you're nasty. And while there's myriad discussions to potentially be had about whether or not Arthas and his rise to villainy was predestined, an accident, or something else, the legacy of his corrupted power lives on to this day in the form of the Death Knight hero class, once the literal stormtroopers of his death campaign. The undead antiheroes made in the image of Arthas exist somewhere in the nether between life and undeath, left looking to atone for sins they had no control over, and attempting to prove that there's something on the other side of Acton's axiom. I'm Will Harrison, and this week on Essence of Azeroth, we'll be talking about the Death Knight hero class, its Warcraft to WoW retcon, controversies surrounding the class's inclusion in the game, and why Death Knights seem to have the biggest daddy issues in all of Azeroth. My son. The day you were born, the very forests of Lordaeron whispered the name Arthas, my child. I watched with pride as you grew into a weapon of righteousness. Remember, our line has always ruled with wisdom and strength. And I know you will show restraint when exercising your great power. But the truest victory, my son, is stirring the hearts of your people. I tell you this, for when my days have come to an end, you shall be king. If you joined us last week, then you already know that we've been talking about death as it pertains to the World of Warcraft universe, though this week, instead of asking where you go when you die, we're discussing what happens when you die and don't go anywhere at all, something that seems to be happening all too often on Azeroth these days and since the creation of the Scourge. 
I'm not going to get too deep into the origins of the undead faction and the Forsaken as we know it, mostly due to the fact that the origins of where the Orc, Warlock, and Ner'zhul receive the Lich King's Helm of Dominion, and the origins of undead power as we know it, are going to most likely be retconned, or at least changed slightly in the Shadowlands. For now, all we really need to know is that the Helm of Domination and its sword-based mate Frostmourne were both artifacts of the Maul, a special prison in the Shadowlands meant for the worst of the worst. And yet, undeath is rampant across almost every zone in World of Warcraft. The dead scar of the Ghostlands, the scourge pits of Zuldrak, literally all of the former Kingdom of Lordaeron. And while many of those scars of the past have healed after the Cataclysm expansion, one remains as a force for good against the darkness, the Death Knights. This hero class, once the literal minions of the Lich King, now seemingly serve a chaotic good agenda while in their floating ziggurat of Atreus, the Ebon Hold, led by a new Lich King and playing a role in almost every expansion since their inclusion as on-the-ground troops and maybe even cannon fodder as foot soldiers of Azeroth. But what is a Death Knight? How are they any different from the Forsaken? Or a ghoul? And what about that Terran Gorfian guy in Black Temple? He called himself a Death Knight. And WoW Classic players may notice the zone-wide announcement that the Death Knights are riding around Deathwind Pass, east of Darkshire. Are those Death Knights? Is Arthas a Death Knight? Am I a Death Knight? Do lizard people really control the government? Well, slow down there, Chief. We're going to clear everything up as it pertains to my favorite class in World of Warcraft. Sure, I may have started as a priest main, but once Blizzard told me I could throw on some big ol' armor, raise the dead, and sling some plagues, I knew my decision was made. But we'll get to that. First, what is a Death Knight? What are the origins? For that, we're going to need to go all the way back to the very first Warcraft game, the First War, and the opening of the Dark Portal by the Orc Warlock Gul'dan. Um, the, the first Gul'dan, not the time-traveling one that everyone hated. And now, a brief history of the First War. <laughs> hey, are, are we using this same joke two weeks in a row? Are you already out of new material? So, a long time ago, Stormwind was the bastion of human happiness and a font of power for humanity across the Eastern Kingdom, except for the fact that Sargeras, the Burning Legion's leader, had possessed Medivh, the last guardian of Tearsfall, and was looking for a way to get his old body back from the tomb of him, sealed away there by Medivh's mother, Aegwyn. So, not Sargeras, struck a deal with Gul'dan, and the orcs of Draenor drank some demon blood, then came through the Dark Portal with a plan to take over Stormwind and pull a General Sherman across the Eastern Kingdoms, but got stopped due to Medivh coming down with a slight case of being stabbed with a sword by Cadgar, where Orgrim Doom took over the Orcish Horde in a battle for honor, but also teamed up with Gul'dan, who formed the Shadow Council and started doing evil warlock hoodoo as they prepared for the Second War. I promise we'll get a new joke for next time. And if you're thinking we're talking an awful lot about Gul'dan for an episode that started with an Arthas quote, well, you're right. And that's because the first actual Death Knight was an orcish warlock creation. 
After the first war, Gul'dan was secretly plotting behind the back of Orgrim Doomhammer with his Shadow Council, a coven of orc warlocks loyal to Gul'dan that worked in the shadows, with Gul'dan's plan being to instill the souls of dead warlock council members into near-indestructible undead bodies, combining the strength of a warrior and the magic of a necromancer. And he did just that with Terran Gorefiend, transplanting the warlock's soul into a new body and creating the first Death Knight. This is also why Death Knights in-game feel so much more like a cloth-based casting class than a melee-based class like a warrior or a paladin. The original Death Knights retained their warlock powers, preferring to use plagues, terror, and ice to win battles, much in the similar way that the blood magic of the uh, trolls operated. But these guys weren't true warriors, just mages dressed up like one. Which is why when the Alliance destroyed almost all of the original Death Knights, save for ones that were later turned into liches by Kil'jaeden, as the Burning Crusade looked to salvage an armed force on Azeroth in the wake of the Orc's failure to help Gul'dan in his secret mission to bring Sargeras to bear. However, the demons had a backup plan in the form of the Orc Warlock Ner'zhul, whose soul had been rended and sealed within the Helm of Domination turning him into the spectral Lich King and flung down in a block of ice to the frozen lands of Northrend and Icecrown, where puzzle pieces began moving into place for yet another attempt by the Legion to take over Azeroth. But what's interesting about this is that the Death Knight didn't really go through a retcon per se, but their meaning did change considerably. Vanilla WoW and Burning Crusade had multiple references to these original Death Knights, including a pack of roving mobs that went around the outskirts of Darkshire and Deadwind Pass called Death Knights, not to mention the inclusion of Terran Gorefiend as a raid boss in the Black Temple raid. And all of Karazhan is essentially being a hub of power for the Legion's attempts around the first war to take Azeroth. So there's little hints and pieces surrounding all of that. And of course, we can't forget Naxxramas, the literal training grounds of the original Death Knights. But those aren't our Death Knights. Not really. The Death Knights of the Scourge differ from the Gul'dan Death Knights, who ever differ from the next version of Death Knights to appear in canon. The cursed, fallen Paladins of the Silver Hand, so obsessed with cleansing the land of this new blight that happened during the Third War that it literally destroyed all of Lordaeron and they marched to the frozen lands of Northrend and accepted dark power, convinced that the light no longer shined upon them. These knights became infected with the blight, but were so dedicated to what they saw as a holy duty to retake their homelands and were then in turn rejected and ostracized by their own people. Lost, they followed their prince to Northrend. And so, Arthas Minethil, the prince of Lordaeron, falls to darkness, taking the power offered by this mysterious Lich King, now the former orc warlock Ner'zhul in a non-corporeal form, and taking up the rune sword of Frostmourne, which blights the soul of Arthas in exchange for newfound power. Power that Arthas would use to literally destroy what was left of his homelands, his family, and even his peer and friend, Uther Lightbringer. The campaign of the Undead Scourge begins here, with the former lands of Lordron becoming ground zero for the Blight and becoming the western and eastern plague lands, one of the max level zones in vanilla World of Warcraft, and home to the most menacing raid from the early days of WoW, 
the floating fortress and training grounds of this new wave of Death Knights, Nax Ramus. If you were a player during this time and seem completely lost as to where and when all this lore took place, don't feel bad. Less than 1% of players ever completed Nax Ramus, and to even get into the, rec- the raid required a lengthy quest chain, a reputation grind, and even clearing the other raids up to this point. It was a lot. Sadly, it's also some of the game's best lore, as Naxxramas is one of, if not the best raids in Warcraft. Which might be why they brought it back. Jump ahead to Wrath of the Lich King, and the Death Knight makes its return in multiple ways, both as an enemy, but now as a playable class. The announcement of WoW's first hero class was a term that meant to designate that this was an advanced level class of character with bigger, harder to use abilities, but you could only have one Death Knight per server and you had to have a max level character up to that point. This wasn't all though, as new Death Knights would get a special introductory starting zone meant to not only showcase what exactly the Lich King and the Scourge had been up to since their defeat in the Eastern Plaguelands years ago at the hands of Azeroth's adventurers but also set up for why Naxxramas and the Death Knights would play a major part in the Northrend campaign. Have you ever wanted to be the bad guy? Feel free to cue the Billie Eilish music in your head now. From darkness you awaken, and awaken to darkness itself. The stone halls of Acherus, the ebon hold, greet your once decayed cadaver, and the voice of the terrible Lich King fills the caverns of your head, shaking it to your very core with a resonance that, if you still had any blood left, would surely freeze it. The first quest as a Death Knight appears, and you have no choice but to accept it. After all, you are now a Death Knight in the mighty Scourge army, plotting the demise of the former lands of Lordaeron and growing an army to raise the world. Your will is not your own. The Death Knight's starting area is one of my favorite story sections of World of Warcraft. Not only is it a look into the machinations of the evil that players all too often bulldoze over without a second thought, but there's tongue-in-cheek references and character moments that makes it feel almost like a dark, twisted Disney World attraction. Players awaken to find that they were raised from a deep slumber after dying in the Third War to now be in the service of Arthas spending a few hours in the recent past of the Eastern Plaguelands, and discovering how the Death Knights go from the Lich King stormtroopers, gain their freedom, and form a shaky partnership with the Horde and Alliance in the name of repenting for their own sins and bringing the Lich King down for good. All life must end. What I love about the area is that it has some real shared vibes with the original Bioshock, with taking on quests from key enemies of the Scourge army, and Arthas himself having a big, would-you-kindly, energy of being unable to resist the call to do evil. I imagine that the starting zone would set the building blocks for the Class Order Hall questlines of the Legion expansion, as they share some world-building questing elements. 
This was also Blizzard's first chance to test out their new instancing technology, with the ability to change entire zones from quest to quest, and showcasing real progression in story for the first time ever. A technique that was created completely by accident when the dev team realized during an early build that players in the same location were seeing different versions of an area while still technically being on the same server and location. It's a technique that has become a hallmark of World of Warcraft and is used frequently to this day, but is especially used to great point and perfection in the Death Knight starting area. This is also a chance for players to stretch their legs and feel really cool and powerful while playing a class. Death Knight was unique at the time because wearing plate and getting the big sparkly spells all in one character was new and different. And broken. I was in the closed betas as Blizzard tuned and changed the Death Knight class, and let me tell you, the Death Knight felt completely unstoppable. Big damage spells, crowd controls, stuns, AoE attacks, summons, they had it all. And this makes sense as Death Knights should feel big and bad. But what exactly are these Death Knights? Undead? Possessed? A soul and a dark spirit sharing a body and fighting for control? More to the point, what makes these Death Knights different than other undead? The real answer is all about technicalities. The Forsaken, which is to say the Horde class of undead humans, are called so because they are former citizenry of the Kingdom of Lordaeron, turned undead by their former prince. Death Knights, going by lore, are made up of veterans of the Third War, which is the campaign led by Arthas and ending with the defeat of Archimonde at Mount Hyjal, aka Warcraft 3. Not completely. There is a point around the Legion expansion where it's very clear that the new Lich King, one Bolvar Fordragon, has begun increasing the ranks of the Death Knights as a group and is raising new minions, as evidenced by the inclusion of Pandaren, Goblin, Worgen, and allied races. It's also important to point out that if you play an allied race Death Knight, you do not do the original starting zone, because why would you? Your character didn't exist at that point. These Death Knights are not simply undead, if we're going by lore, though. They are former soldiers raised and stripped of what made them what they once were. Shells, imbued and kept up and running purely through the magics of Frostmourne, which we now know means the power of the Shadowlands and the Maul, which is probably why Death Knights didn't just drop dead as soon as Arthas was killed. We don't know if this means their soul was split in two like what happens to Uther in the recent Shadowlands Afterlives video about Bastion, which highlighted Arthas taking part of his former mentor's soul into Frostmourne, or if a Death Knight is simply a walking husk that remembers its past life, like an echo trying to find its point of origin. Either way, it's a sad, depressing life. Many Death Knights comment about feeling nothing but anger and no longer feeling like they belong anywhere or wishing for death itself to finally come and find them. This is highlighted no better than the World of Warcraft manga, yes, there's a manga, simply called Death Knight, which tells the tale of Thessarion, the first Death Knight to join the Alliance post-Battle of Light's Hope, and also one of the first to be turned in Northrend with Arthas. It tells the story of a man who feels he has a great purpose, but feels no emotion toward it, only that he knows that he should feel something. It's a great read, I won't give it any spoilers away but it gives some really good background about the Northrend campaign if you really love Ratch of the Lich King, like I do. And if there's any group that should feel bad about their past deeds, boy howdy is it the Death Knights. The starting area not only serves as color for setting up the story, 
but is also a character-driven narrative that highlights how, even though you are under the influence of the Lich King, the prime and ultimate evil, that evil was done by your hand. It's still evil done on your, on your heart. Blizzard wanted to put players in the shoes of true evil, and through a campaign of killing innocent civilians, corrupting the very nature around you, torturing and even killing your former closest friends, shows that maybe there is no amends to be made for the Death Knights. Maybe the best they deserve is to be thrown at the next big bad evil to threaten Azeroth and be fodder for the wolves. Did I mention the torture? mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Death Knight's starting area is one of the best storytelling moments of the game because of how hard it works to put you in the shoes of your character and of evil. Not only following the orders of a prime evil in this world, but really letting you revel in your newfound power. Killing civilians, slaughtering zealots of the Scarlet Crusade, beating other Death Knight recruits in duels, controlling summoned animals, getting your own mount. But no other two quests stand out more from this area than the quests How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies and A Special Surprise. The former is a quest given by future raid boss Prince Keliseth, in which your Death Knight is given special implements meant to torture information out of random Scarlet Crusade members. It's notable because the quest actually takes quite a while to finish because it's based on luck and on an auto attack getting that sweet spot that triggers the end of the quest, so it can take up to 20 minutes sometimes. And you're doing this while beating cru- the beating crusaders to get the information out of them. And it's gruesome. The second and maybe the more brutal quest, a special surprise happens after breaking the defenses of the last Scarlet Crusade defense point. And the player's character is rewarded by the Lich King in the form of a room full of captured enemies, one of every race. The surprise is that a person from the Death Knight's past life has been brought here for the specific purpose of being murdered by their former friend. The friend pleads for you to remember and to not let the Lich King corrupt you because they know you're still in there somewhere inside. However, there's no way around it and no way to press forward. You must kill them. 
both quests are interesting because few, if any games up to that point, had ever put the player in the position of being a torturer in this way, besides maybe the Vampire the Masquerade series on PC. The quests truly upset some players, with forum threads debating about their distaste for the quest lines and wishing for a workaround to avoid it, to no avail. After all, the show must go on. However, a special surprise is interesting because it's the first time that cracks are revealed in the control that Arthas has over your character, foreshadowing the downfall of a Death Knight assault on the legendary Ho Light's Hope Chapel, former home base of the Knights of the Silver Hand, and, as it turns out, the beginning of the end for Arthas in Wrath of the Lich King. now upon the lands below us. The Scarlet Crusade scurries to undo my work, while Light's Hope stands defiantly against us, a blemish upon these plague lands. They must all be shown the price of their defiance. The cleansing of the Naru spirit that resides within the Great Blade Ashbringer, bringing about the return of one of the most powerful holy artifacts in Warcraft lore, and once an item of major mystery to WoW players. Tyrion Forgering and the Ashbringer continues to be a thorn in the side of Arthas, whether it's helping liberate the Death Knights from the curse that locked their minds to servitude, or helping set the stage for the Lich King's demise on top of his own frozen throne. From here, the Death Knight story is one that happens to all races and classes that get featured in an expansion. They somewhat quietly shuffle into the background, while others get the spotlight. The exception is the Legion-class hall questline for the Death Knights, which has some truly fascinating lore moments. Returning to the scene of the crime at Icecrown Citadel, taking orders from Bolivar Four Dragons Lich King, raising the dead to form a new Four Horsemen, and even riding off into the north like Arthas once did to raise the remains of a great dragon, all for the purposes of war. The apple never falls too far from the tree, it seems. Those last two story moments are important, as it showcases that, much like the Demon Hunters, the Death Knights as an official group are utilitarian in regards to means and ends. They'll gladly fight alongside the Horde and Alliance to save the planet, but have no qualms about raising some of both factions' most beloved departed heroes as ghastly reminders of past failures, and going as far as to infiltrate and torture the Red Dragonflight simply so they can defile the body of the Red Dragon Tyrannostraza at a time when the Red Flight is literally on its last legs post-Cataclysm. It was here that I saw the undead. Swarming across an icy shelf, seeking a prize coveted by Arthas. Look ahead. Do you see it? The bones of a dragon most ancient. New king, same as the old king. It still remains to be seen, even after Bolvar loses the hardware that seemingly gives him the right to call himself Lich King. What we do know is that the Death Knights will travel into the Land of Shadows and the lands of Maldraxxus to see what happens on the other side of the afterlife to warriors of the past, for better and worse. We may even see Arthas reappear. 
Who knows? Before we wrap up this week, let's go to the viewer comments mailbag. Have a question or comment? Did I get something wrong? Visit our anchor.fm page and leave a voice message. I'll play it here on the podcast and answer your question. Luckily, this week's question somewhat pertains to our topic, with Kedwo asking a question about the Forsaken and their future under the leadership of Lillian Voss and Kalia Menethil, sister of the former Lich King and newly undead due to the machinations of former Forsaken leader and warchief Sylvanas Windrunner. Hello, I really liked your first episode. It was really nice. Uh, anyway, as a suggestion, I was thinking about uh, the, the history of the Forsaken, like uh, the the past, the present, and the future of Forsaken, especially in BFA, where we had the Battle of Darkshore and the Sylvanas events and everything with Kalia Manethil and Lillian Boss taking the leadership. So I would like to know your insight on what's coming next or uh, your opinion on the Forsaken future. Uh, First, thank you for the reader mail. It was excellent to get something on our first week doing this. And as for the Forsaken, I think it's interesting because the Forsaken have been one of the most ignored factions in World of Warcraft throughout its entire history, uh, at most being allowed to be like weird, spooky, experimenting cannibals who always seem like the most evil people in the room, even when the Horde are going for this like band of misfits getting along with one another, trying to live off the land vibe. And then you've got these, you know, weirdos over here who are just like, what if we poisoned everything? So it's interesting to see them finally getting away from that, especially with um, Sylvanas Windrunner finally going away, which I think is for the best because she's an uninteresting leader. And it felt like we've been waiting for years for her to turn heel and do what she's doing now. Um I, I think it's interesting that Kalia Menethil is being brought into the fold. She's kind of the unofficial leader with Lillian Voss kind of being her stand-in while she gets her leggings. Because after all, she hasn't been dead very long. And she's maybe not even actually undead. Um, the book, Before the Storm, and some of the in-game stuff kind of leaves it up into the air as to what she is with recent interviews from World of Warcraft devs telling us that they have plans to fully look into and reveal what's going on. My personal opinion is seems to be that she looks an awful lot like the denizens of uh, Bastion uh, that are helping out Uther Lightbringer. I wouldn't be surprised if her abilities are and her powers are tied to that. She's certainly not a straight-up undead, and she's definitely not alive, so I, I guess we're just going to have to find out and see. But I think we're going to learn more about the Forsaken in this expansion. I mean, after all, it is an expansion about the undead and the afterlife. So what better way to kind of put that through a lens than with the actual undead uh, race and, and faction? It's a good question. Uh, I, I wish I, I had a little more um, insight, but we really are just waiting for what is now officially the release date, November 23rd. Um, regardless, I think it's cool that they've made Lillian Voss kind of a through line for the Forsaken. I just recently started a Forsaken character from scratch, one of my many ults. I began leveling with this um, pre-patch change. And Lillian Voss is right there from the beginning, and she's a fascinating character and one that we might cover here one day in the future. I mean, a, a former daughter of one of the major higher-ups of the Scarlet Crusade, which was already a corrupted 
uh, faction that was up to no good. And the minute she turns undead, they turn her back on her and she has to do a lot of soul searching. Most of her initial quest line through Cataclysm stuff is getting revenge on the Scarlet Crusade, which, as you and I all know, it happens through Scarlet Monastery over and over and over. Um, but we'll, we'll see where it goes from there, and I'm interested. And if anybody else has a great question like that, uh, send them in. Uh, we're always happy to take mailbag requests and look at anything you want to have explained or kind of thought out. That's what we like to do here. <laughs> Um, thanks for the questions. Be sure to keep them coming. Join us next week as we begin the first episode in a series on the raids of World of Warcraft in chronological order, starting with the raid that brought us to the dance, the great black dragonflight mother's home turf of Anixia's lair. Until then, take care. And to any Death Knights listening, remember to use that battle resurrect. I know you have it. Hey, are, are we using this same joke two weeks in a row? Are you already out of new material? <laughs>